Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. It's my joy today to introduce to you my oldest son, Jesse Stewart, who is joining me in this ministry. So I have been living in Southwest Florida now for about a year and a half, and my family and I absolutely love it here. We love Summit. We love the friendships that we've made. We love the area. We have thoroughly enjoyed our time here um, in the Sunshine, sunshine State. What's interesting, though, and a little bit funny, is before we moved here, I actually had a pretty good feeling that we were going to love living in this area because I knew one thing to be true about it, that it's only three hours away from Disney World. (laughs) Something that me, my wife, and our two boys have taken full advantage of since we've been here. So much so that recently a friend of ours basically told me that I needed to stop scratching my Disney itch. Like, that's how bad it's gotten. Um, But as much as we've enjoyed going to Disney recently, I won't ever forget the first time that I ever went. See, I grew up in Atlanta, and a dream of mine as a childhood was, as a child, was to go to Disney World. Like, that was one of my childhood dreams. So I used to beg my parents to take us, because I really wanted to go. But because taking a family of eight would have probably led them to bankruptcy, going to Disney World, uh, they never took us there. But in 2019 this childhood dream of mine finally became a reality. Because right around Memorial Day, my family and I were staying not too far away from Orlando. And so after talking to my wife, we figured, man, this would be the perfect time for us to go to Disney World for the first time as a family. So my oldest son was one at the time, my youngest son was, um, was sorry, three, and my youngest son was one. So we felt like this would be a good time for us to go. Uh, Mainly for ourselves, but we'd bring the boys with us. And the reason we thought it was such a good time to go was because it being the month of May, we figured it's probably not that hot outside, at least not as it would be going in a place like now in July. And then we also thought that because it was before June, a lot of schools wouldn't be out yet, so it wouldn't be too crowded. So early one morning, about five o'clock on this ship, we get up and we make the drive to Magic Kingdom. And I still remember this like it was yesterday as we, as we pulled up to Disney World, and we saw that sign that said Disney World, where dreams come true. How excited I got is not socially acceptable for a third-year-old man. Like, that was how, I was just, I was ecstatic. I couldn't help it, because I was so grateful to finally be there, that I just wanted to celebrate. Because after decades of wanting to be at the most magical place on earth, I had finally arrived. And now my childhood dream was being fulfilled. I couldn't wait to get into the park and ride the amazing rides and eat some incredible food and just make some lasting memories with my family. So as we drove up to Magic Kingdom that day, man, my heart was full of so much gratitude. I was so happy and I was so thankful that I had finally made it to Disney World. And see, today, as we move into this passage, I believe how I felt in that moment gives us a glimpse of how David feels as he's writing the psalm. He is thankful. He is full of gratitude, and he just wants to celebrate. But see, unlike me, the reason that David feels this way isn't because he's arrived at a specific place, but because God has given him a specific promise. Because scholars believe that 2 Samuel 7 is the backdrop or the context of Psalm 138. And what happens in 2 Samuel 7 is that God visits the prophet Nathan and tells him to go to David because God's going to make a covenant with David. 
this promise that he is going to establish his kingdom forever because one day an offspring is going to come who's going to reign on his throne for the end of all days. This person who would eventually be known as the Messiah. And so after hearing this incredible news, these are the words that David pens. So let's read Psalm 138 together and see this gratitude that David has. Let's begin with verse 1. David says, I will give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give thanks, O Lord. They have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, David says, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. And then verse 8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. But this is just a beautiful psalm, isn't it? I mean, just this psalm where David really opens up to express what's in his heart through his hands, through writing out this prayer to God. And I love it because what you see David doing here is finding himself so full of gratitude because of who God is, what God has done, and what God one day will do for him. And really what stands out to me about this psalm is how simple it is. It's really not that flashy. It's just David having this posture of thanksgiving because of God's faithfulness towards him and God's steadfast love to him. I mean, that's what you see taking place in this beautiful psalm. But if I'm honest, I do, I do feel a bit of tension when I read this psalm. But the, re- the reason I feel this isn't because of anything that I see in it, but because of what I see in myself. Because when I read this psalm, even though I've also experienced God's steadfast love and God's faithfulness in my life, I don't always find myself feeling the way that David does in the psalm at least not as often as I would like. I didn't wake up this morning feeling my heart full of gratitude like David feels here because of who God is, because of what God has done, or because of what God will do for me, even though I've experienced some amazing promises just like you have that God gives us in his word. And if I had to guess, I'm probably not the only person in this room that feels this way. Even though as God's people, we want to have a posture of thanksgiving towards God all the time, the reality is we don't. So often we find ourselves grumbling, being discontent, or just being unthankful, even though our God has done so much for us. And as crazy as this might sound, the reason I think we often find ourselves feeling this way we can find in that first time that I ever went to Disney World. Because as I showed up that day in 2019, the goal for me and my family was to get to the park early enough so that our sons could see the characters and be greeted by them as we walked in. Let me tell you, that definitely did not happen. 
because it was so crowded that day. In fact, there were so many people there that it took us over an hour and a half to get from the parking lot into the park. So by the time we did one ride, it was already lunchtime, which I actually was okay with because leading up to this trip, I was very excited about eating Disney food because here's my mindset. If this is the most magical place on earth, how is the food not going to be absolutely amazing? Like, that's what I was thinking. I mean, if a meal costs as much as my mortgage payment, it's got to be good. Like, that, that seems to be a guarantee. And so we showed up to this place, and I got, I want to forget this, we got chicken fingers and fries. Right? A, a, a feast for a champion. And so we sit down, ready to eat, and I'm so excited about eating this food. And I realized very quickly, the food's not very magical. Uh, it tastes more like it came from my freezer. So... Definitely was, was not excited about that. But after we ate a little bit of that, we said, well, let's just keep moving around and let's keep enjoying the park. And so as we get out and we start moving, we notice that it's like pretty hot outside. Like really hot outside. Like is my one-year-old son taking a nap or having a heat stroke? I don't know. Like that's the level that we were dealing with. And at one point as we're moving around, I look down at my Apple Watch and it says 100 degrees outside. It ended up getting up to 101, a record high for that day in Orlando. And so because it was so hot and our kids were so young, we kept saying, should we stay? Should we go? Should we stay? Should we go? It was, you know, let's just stay until the midday parade, right? Let's just stay and allow our boys to enjoy the midday parade. And so we did, and Disney kindly rewarded us by starting at 20 minutes late. And so finally, when this parade comes to an end, we're like, let's just get out of here. And so we go and we leave. And I remember when we got in the car to go home, or at least go back to the place where we were staying, you know, it didn't feel like in that moment that I had fulfilled this childhood dream. Instead, I found myself leaving Disney that day, sweaty, tired, and honestly, extremely disappointed. Because it didn't live up to the expectations that I had set for it. See, in my mindset, I thought the food was going to be good. I thought the crowds were going to be low. And I thought the weather was going to be nice. So my entire experience at Disney that day wasn't good because it didn't match the expectations I had set. Or a different way of saying that is my expectations about Disney impacted my experience at Disney. And here's how this story connects to what we're talking about today in Psalm 138. Because what we often don't realize is so much of our lives, our expectations shape our experiences. So much of our lives. Not only just a vacation to Disney, but also when we go see a movie that we've been waiting to see. Or a night when we're hanging out with our friends. Or how we expect somebody to interact with us in a relationship. So much of our lives, our expectations shape our experiences. And what we often don't realize is the same is true in our relationship with God. That so often our expectations about God shape our experiences with God. And so the reason that so many of us didn't wake up this morning full of gratitude, the way we don't feel the way that David does in this passage, is because if I had to guess, there is something going on in your life that you aren't expecting it, or at least didn't expect it to go that way. Maybe your marriage is bringing you more conflict than comfort. Maybe your job is weighing you down more than it's lifting you up. Maybe you find yourself in this strange, strained relationship with your kids. 
Maybe your struggle with sin is getting worse, not better. Maybe your life just keeps getting lonelier. Whatever it might be for you, the reality is we all have these expectations of how we expect our life to go. And so often when our life isn't meeting those expectations, we find ourselves blaming God or grumbling to God or being unthankful towards God because those expectations are shaping how we see him. Because here's what we know. God can make our life better if he wants to. Because he is all-knowing, because he is all-powerful, he could snap his finger and things would be different, but they're not. So, so often we find ourselves being unthankful, being discontent, because our lives aren't going the way that we want it to go. And so without even realizing it, our expectations about God shape our experiences with God. And so instead of having a heart of gratitude and thankfulness the way David does, we find ourselves walking around discontent, grumbling, complaining, and not being very thankful about what's happening in our lives. And what I've learned just from my own life and and just from living life with everybody else is that there's a lot of just kind of baseline exceptions that we have as Christians, baseline expectations. And there's three of them that I want to talk about today. And here's what they are. We expect God to give us an entitled life. We expect God to give us an exalted life. And we expect for God to give us an easy life. Those are the three things that we confessed in a prayer to God just earlier in the service. Because this is where we find ourselves walking. These are the expectations that we put on God. And the problem is, is if we have misguided expectations about God, then it's going to forever impact, at least in this life, how we see him. And so what we want to do is we want to reshape our expectations We want to understand in God's word, how are we supposed to live? How does he see us and how are we supposed to live our lives in light of that reality? So here's what I want to do now. I want to walk through Psalm 138 again, this time more slowly. And I want to look at this Psalm through the lens of these expectations. And what we're going to see is in each little stanza, we see something that we can remember that can help us reshape our expectations that can change how we're seeing things in our relationship with God so that we can better understand who we are and in light of that, be more thankful. Be God's people who walk around with a posture of thankfulness. And so what we're going to do now is that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this together and we're going to see how we can live our lives in light of God's word and not in light of misguided expectations. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is how do we combat this idea that we expect for God to give us an entitled life. So let's read this first few verses again and see what God can teach us. So here's what verse 1 says again. It says, I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you've exalted above all things your name and your word. And then verse 3, I love this, it says, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. So David tells us early on that he is writing this with a heart full of thankfulness. So he's giving thanks with his whole heart. And in fact, he feels this way so passionately that he can't help but worship. That's the idea of singing praises to God before these lesser other gods. It's the idea of bowing down to his holy temple. David is in a posture of thanksgiving as he lives in a posture of worship to God. That's where David finds himself. And then we see the reason that David feels this way, the reason that he is so thankful is because verse three tells us that when he called out to the Lord, he answered him. In this moment in David's life where he needed God to respond, he needed God to do something, God was there. 
And maybe this is connected to the promise that God gave him, or maybe this is something different. Unfortunately, we don't know. But what we do know is that when David needed his soul to be strengthened, that's exactly what God did for him. God met David where he was, and God gave his soul what it needed. And here's what I love about how David is responding to this answered prayer. Is it shows us that David didn't have a sense of entitlement that God was going to answer this prayer. And the reason we know that is because of how David responds. Because let me tell you, what kills gratitude in our life is entitlement. When we think we deserve something, we think that we've earned something, when we think that something should be given to us because we want it, then we're not grateful when it happens. And if anybody had a reason to feel entitled, it was David at this time. Because remember, he's God's anointed. He's the one that God has chosen to be king of his people and to rule Israel. So if anybody had the right to say, yeah, I deserve God to answer my prayer. I deserve it. I've earned it. It was David. But David doesn't have that mindset. This entitled mindset that says, if I want it, I should have it. That's not how David's operating here. He's not indifferent towards God when he answers his prayer. Instead, he is full of gratitude. There is no obligation in David's heart that God was going to answer this prayer. So when he did, he wanted to worship him. When he did, he wanted to praise him. And see, just like David, all of us go to God in prayer. All of us ask God to show up and to do some things in our lives. But unfortunately, unlike David, so often we have this posture or this mindset that God should give us what we want. That somehow we've earned it or we deserved it or honestly, we just think God should give it to us because we're his kid and that's what we want in our lives. And so what happens is when God doesn't answer our prayer the way that we want him to, then we find ourselves being unthankful, complaining, grumbling. But here's what's also crazy. What I've seen to be true in my life is even at times when God does answer my prayer, I'm indifferent. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's what I hoped. It's like I don't even have the sense of gratitude towards it. Why? Because I feel like I'm entitled to get what I want. I felt God should give me what I want in that moment. And because of that, I don't express any gratitude towards God. But as God's people, if we want to have a posture of thanksgiving in our relationship with God, what we have to remember is God does not promise to give us what we want. Instead, he promises to give us what we need. And the way we see this or at least one place we see this is in one of my favorite passages in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is preaching at the Sermon of the Mount, and he starts to talk about anxiety. Something that I'm sure nobody else can relate to, right? Right? We live in a culture where so many people are anxious. And here's what Jesus says to the people then, and what he says to us, is he says, you don't need to worry about what you eat, what you would drink, or what you will wear. He says, because your heavenly Father, he knows what you need. And he was comforting them by saying, God knows what you need and he knows how to get it to you. But see, here's our problem. We confuse needs and wants. Somebody said that one time and it's it's forever stuck with me because it's so true. We confuse needs and wants. And so, so often we go to God in prayer, we think that we need something, but really we just want it. We want him to show up. We want him to do something to take us out of a situation or to make our lives better or to remove something, but that's not God's will. But the comfort doesn't come in God giving us what we want always. It comes in knowing that he's always going to give us what we need. In this moment, David needed his soul to be strengthened, and that's exactly what God did. And in your life right now, your heavenly father knows what your soul needs. 
He knows if you need to live a less lonely life. He knows if you need to overcome a particular sin. He knows if you need healing in a relationship. He knows that. And if you need it, he will give it to you. And when we understand this, we can find ourselves being so much less entitled and more thankful. Because in his love, our God is going to give us what we need. And as a result of that, we can always be thankful that our God is going to show up in the moments that we need him the most. So this is how we fight against this mindset that we should expect God to give us an entitled life. When we expect for God to give us what we want, remember, God gives us what we need. That's the reshaping expectation. Remember, God gives you what you need. And allow that to give you so much gratitude. And then as David continues to write, we see in this next section, he helps us when we have this expectation that God is going to exalt our life. Because look what it says in verse 4. David says, All the kings of the earth shall give thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty or the prideful he knows from afar. So now David is taking this almost shift to the future to think about this day when all the kings of the earth, not just him, are going to sing praises to God. They're going to thank him for all the amazing things that he's done. And what's so crazy to me, what I love about this imagery, is David is saying that one day, these people who've received the highest possible level of human authority are going to recognize their smallness before God and in turn worship him. And that is the beauty of the imagery that David is laying out here. And then David says something in verse 6 that is good for all of us to hear who find ourselves expecting for God to give us this exalted life. He says, this God who is so high and so great that one day all the kings of the earth will worship him, he regards the lowly. Lowly being those who are low in rank or low in value. Who aren't trying to make themselves great, but they realize how low they really are before God. That they are sinners in desperate need of God's grace. That they are those who don't deserve the goodness of God, but instead have received it because of the goodness of who their God is. And once again, something else I love about this passage is that David, as he writes this, recognizes that this is him. That he is the lowly which is incredible if you remember the context of the psalm. Because remember, David has just received this amazing promise that it's going to be his offspring that is going to reign forever, that his throne and his kingdom is going to be established for all days. He had every reason in this moment to feel prideful. He had every reason in this moment to be haughty, but he is not. Instead of being prideful, he sees himself as low. He sees himself as just an instrument who's received the amazing grace of God. And as those who belong to Jesus, we are called to do the same. That whenever we have this expectation that God is going to make a big deal out of us, we need to remember that God regards the lowly. But as we talked about last week, that's hard, isn't it? Because all of us want to be a big deal. All of us want people to look at us in our homes and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and any other place where we go. And we want people to think, man, we mean something that we're a big deal. But what is so sobering about this passage 
is this idea that if one day all the kings of the earth will recognize their smallness before God, then how much more should we? Because this is what pleases our Lord. Our God longs to be with the lowly. Not those who are trying to make a big name for themselves, but those who are trying to make a big name for him, for his glory, and for his renown. For those who haven't lost sight of the fact that they are sinners in desperate need of God's grace. His undeserving favor that in his kindness he gives to us. You see, when we remember this, when we understand who we are, what happens is that we stop expecting for our God to make us great. And instead what we do is we become thankful of how great our God is. That even though we are sinners that deserve nothing but his judgment, he meets us and chooses to have an intimate relationship with us, to shower us with his care, to lavish on us his love, and chooses to forgive all the horrible things that we've done so that we can be his child and we can know him and we can be in this close, personal relationship with him now and for forever. And if we want to have a heart full of gratitude every single day, we can't forget who we are. And so when we have this expectation that God is going to exalt us, let us remember this. When we expect for God to raise us up, remember God regards the lowly, the humble, the meek, those who live their lives in pursuit of his glory and his renown. That's the right expectation that we're called to have in our relationship with God. And as we get to the last two verses of the psalm, we see something else, one last thing, that helps us whenever we expect for God to give us an easy life. Because look what David says in verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. And so in these final verses, David really opens up to tell us what's going on in his personal life. And we see, and it's not that great, right? I mean, we see people are coming after him. David isn't writing this psalm as he sits on his throne and peace and prosperity just, just kind of cover his kingdom. Instead, what we see is that David is sitting here walking in the midst of trouble. Because people are trying to end his life. They're trying to kill him. And so what this shows us is David isn't living an easy life as he writes the psalm. It's not like his life has now reached this level of perfection and now he's able to be happy. Instead, what we see is that David is full of gratitude even in the midst of this difficult situation because he knows that his God is protecting him. He knows that his God loves him. And he knows his God is going to be there for him. So gratitude for David doesn't come with this expectation that his life is going to be easier. Instead, it comes with this amazing promise that God will fulfill his purpose for him. That's what David's holding on to here. And what scholars believe is that this purpose that David is referring to is that he one day will establish his kingdom forever. That one day there will be an offspring that comes that reigns on his throne. And so in the midst of his difficult, hard time, David is holding on to this promise, realizing that God will fulfill it regardless of what happens. And this part of the psalm, in my opinion, is one of the most relatable parts that we've looked at so far. Because all of us in this room, every single one of us, knows what it's like to walk in the midst of troubles. Hopefully someone's not trying to take your life. <laughs> 
But we do know that regardless of what's happening, we do walk through troubles. And it's usually because of something that somebody has done to us or something that we've done ourselves. And whenever this happens, what is our expectation for God to remove what it is that's causing us to be unhappy, that's causing our life to be hard? We want him to fix a relationship. We want him to resolve tension at work. We want him to provide us a new job, or we want him to make our family life just a little bit easier. Whatever it is, what we want God to do and what we expect God to do is to do whatever it takes to make us happy. And the reason we find ourselves living with this mindset is because we find ourselves living in a culture that says the ultimate goal of your life is to be happy. That's what we've been told. That the ultimate goal of your life is to be happy. So whatever is keeping you from being happy or whoever is keeping you from getting to that point where your life is easy and happy and non-troublesome, that is the path that you need to pursue. And so when we're unhappy or our life is hard, what we think is something must be wrong. But it's God's people. And it's God's chosen people. We have to realize that we're living with a different standard. Because for those who belong to God and to his kingdom, the ultimate goal in this life isn't to be happy, it's to be holy. It's to be made like Jesus. And we know this because in Romans 8.28, we see this beautiful passage, this beautiful promise where Paul says that God works all things out for good for those who he's loved and those who he's called according to his purpose. An amazing verse. We should know that verse. We should hang on to that verse. The question becomes, what is the good that Paul is talking about? What is the good that God is working all things out in our life towards? And we get the answer to that in verse 29. And it's to conform us to the image of his son. And that's what God wants to do. That's where God is leading us, to conform us to the image of his son. That is the ultimate goal that we have in our life. So gratitude doesn't come in expecting that our life to be easy. Gratitude comes in this amazing promise that God will always fulfill his purpose for you. That's what we hold on to. That's where we find thankfulness. That's where we find ourselves living our lives knowing that regardless of what happens to me, nothing can take away this promise. Nothing can keep it from happening. Nothing that I've done and nothing that somebody else has done to me will cause this promise to go away in our lives. Nothing will do that. That is the hope that we hold on to. Not your struggle with sobriety. Not a strained marriage. Not a life of loneliness. Not a new job. Nothing in your life is going to keep God from fulfilling his purpose for you. And that is the hope that we can hold on to regardless of what might come in our lives. And so when we find ourselves living with this expectation that our life is going to be easy, this is what we remember. When we expect for God to give us an easy life, remember that God will fulfill his purpose for you. There's nothing that can get in the way of the plan that God has for your life. And the reason that we can hold this promise so confidently, just like David does, is because God has already fulfilled another promise that he's made to us. Because one day, this offspring of David did come. And he did establish his throne forever. When Jesus stepped into this world and came to rescue us. 
But we have to remember when Jesus stepped into this world, he didn't come as an entitled king expecting to give everything. Instead, what did he come as? A meek servant wanting to serve others first. And that attitude, that mindset did not leave him down a path full of ease. Instead, what it did is it led him down a path full of suffering where he would eventually be betrayed by one friend, denied three times by another, and ultimately make his way to a place called Calvary where he would be crucified. And even though he was the Lord Most High, who one day all the kings of the earth will worship, he made himself low. Humbling himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because Jesus went to the cross for our sins and died in our place so that we could have our sins forgiven, and then three days he rose from the grave so that we could have our salvation secure, so we could know him, so we could love him, so that we could always live with a posture of thanksgiving because we always have our sins forgiven. There is nothing that the blood of Christ has not covered in our lives if we belong to him, so we can hold on to that. Regardless of the difficulties that we face today or the troubles that may come tomorrow, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for us because his steadfast love endures forever and he will never forsake the works of his hands. That's the hope that we have. And that allows us to live with a posture of thanksgiving, regardless of how hard or difficult your life might be today or it will be tomorrow. Band, you guys can can come on up. Because this is what I want to wrap up with today. As those who belong to God's kingdom, and those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, Let's not allow our misguided expectations to shape our experiences and our relationship with God. Let's not do that. Instead, let's be like David. And let's be quick to remember who God is. That in his love for you, he will give you what you need. How in his grace towards you, he remembers you for who you are and meets you in that moment. And in his faithfulness towards you, he will fulfill his purpose for you. That's the hope that we have. So let's not allow misguided expectations to cause us to be unthankful in our relationship with God. Instead, here's what I want us to do. Like David, allow your gratitude towards God to shape your experiences with God. That's my challenge for all of us in this room. Allow your gratitude towards God to shape your experiences with God. Because that's exactly what David is doing as he writes this psalm. This is the moment where David is sitting there praying to God, worshiping God because of who God is. He is so overwhelmed with gratitude in this moment. It is shaping how he's experiencing God as he writes this psalm. His heart is full. His gratitude is high. His thanksgiving towards God is abundant because he recognizes who God is, what God has done, and one day what God would do for him. And as those who belong to Jesus, who've seen the cross and experienced the life-changing impact that God has had in our lives through the work of Jesus, now we have every reason to do the same to rejoice always and to step into our relationship with God, not leading with expectations, but leading with gratitude. Because our God has already proven and shown how much he loves us. And so in turn, we can be grateful towards him. 
So as God's people, if we want to have a posture of thanksgiving, we need to allow our gratitude towards God to shape our experiences with God. Let's pray. And God, you are so good. Thank you for this beautiful psalm that just awakens our heart to realize that there is never a reason that we can't be thankful towards you. And as those, Father, who just so often have misguided expectations because we expect to be entitled to things or for you to exalt us or for you to give us an easy life, Lord, may we remember that's just not the right expectations to have in our relationship with you. Instead, you are a God who always gives us what we need. You're a God who regards the lowly. And you're a God who will always fulfill his purpose for us. May we find hope in that. And may that lead us to have a heart of gratitude always for our good, but most importantly, for your glory. And we pray this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen.